This podcast may contain paid advertisements, but more on that later. Welcome to the O'Connor Bootstrap Podcast, where I discuss the nuts and bolts of business and leadership, with a focus on bootstrapping a business from the ground up. This podcast is for all entrepreneurs, bootstrappers, and leaders in all walks of life. My goal is to help you grow both personally and professionally. I am your host, Isaiah O'Connor. Hello, everyone. Isaiah here. Today, I'm just going to do an introduction to an interview I did earlier this year, or last year, I can't remember. Anyway, I got to interview John David Mann. And for the audio listeners, you might have heard this already, but so this is going to be a repost of that one. But I'm going to update the uh, file to include this current introduction. Now, if you don't know who John David Mann is, he is the co-author of the book The Go-Giver with Bob Berg. And he's also an award-winning author who has sold over 3 million copies in three different languages of different books. He's written the New York York Times best-selling memoir, The Red Circle, with former Navy SEAL Brandon Webb, a New York Times best-selling parable, The Latte Factor, with personal finance legend David Bach. As a teenager, John started his own high school and was an award-winning composer and, and cellist before turning to a career as an entrepreneur and author. His book, Take the Lead, with former White House staffer Betsy Myers, was named by Tim, Tom Peters and the Washington Post, Best Leadership Book of 2011. His first novel, Still Fear, has been released as of July 13th. Amazing book. I highly recommend it. And he also had been called on that book, Lee Child and Jack Reacher of the Jack Reacher books has called it a sensationally good and instant classic, maybe an instant legend. You can go find out more, and he also has a free book about how to write over on johndavidman.com. So, without further ado, here we go into the interview with John David Mann. Thank you, John David Mann. Do you always go by John David Mann, or is it just John Mann, or... John is fine. What, what do people if use? If I'm being on on uh, people usually call me John. On book covers, it's John David Mann, just to differentiate from the other John Manns out there. But yeah, John is yeah, fine. yeah. It's like uh, you know Winston Churchill. You know how he made most of his money. I do not. He was a writer. Ah, yes. A Nobel Prize winning writer. Mm-hmm. And apparently, at the writing of the exact same time in America was another Winston Churchill. And he just said, I'm going to just put Winston Churchill America on my books. <laughs> Didn't work probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no one heard of the other guy though. So of course he didn't save the free world. So I guess there's that. There's Any, that. Yeah. Anyway, welcome to my little podcast here. It's a podcast for businessmen, bootstrappers, entrepreneurs, leaders. Yeah. And the Go-Giver series is a perfect series for that. I've only read the Go-Giver, or listened to, I should say, the Go-Giver, where I've heard your voice and uh, my mind just completely blank. Bob's. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long day today, so uh, I got up at 5 o'clock this morning to go to work for a little bit, then I had a meeting at 12, and then I wound up getting a surprise job interview right after that, because hmm. I need to find make some cash there, since as 
I discussed with you earlier, and for anyone who hasn't heard lately, it's COVID's been a little bit rough on the balloon and entertainment mm-hmm. industry. So finding mm-hmm. another job, so a little bit tired. So do bear with my uh, rambling on today. But I, I talked to Bob. Bob's a great guy, by the way. I've I've been on an author streak here. I first talked to Bob, then I talked to Rabbi Daniel Lapin, and then I got to talk to the guy who inspired the whole deal, which is Dan Miller. Hmm. 48 Days to the Work You Love. Yeah, not familiar, but go ahead. Yeah, great book. And uh, he, there's one one uh, uniting thread here. They're all they're all friends of Dave Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's been a business person, business person, business person. And Bob did a really good job of explaining the Go Giver. You can tell it's his passion. He's really excited about it. He runs the Go Giver Facebook group and page, and that's his thing, which I really like. But with you, I want to go a little bit different direction. There's a lot of people that are that write books. Dave Ramsey yes. wrote books. A lot of people write books, but there's not a lot of authors who write books as a living. You know what I mean by that? You know what I mean by the differentiation? Mm-hmm. Like I know a balloon guy who writes a couple of books ever so often just to help increase his balloon sales. So, <laughs> yes. But you, you're like a writing book guy. You even wrote a little book, which I downloaded. I haven't got a chance to sit down and read it yet. What is that on your website now? The how to write gooder. The, how to write, how to write good or at least gooder. Yeah. Yes. So that intrigues me because I think having a career bootstrapping starting up in the entrepreneur doesn't necessarily mean you have to go out and start up a balloon business like i did you can start writing a book in your spare time ever hear of a guy named uh, frankie peretti the author yes mm-hmm. he was he was he wrote his first book this present darkness while he was waxing skis and and filling in holes at a ski shop up in Washington, fixing skis. And then uh, after it got published and it got a little bit of notice, all of a sudden he got a call from the publisher and said, by the way, how much do you need to write us a sequel and just live and do nothing but write that sequel? And you're like, what? And they just paid him a huge advance on that book, which obviously was a smart move on their part. And he went from being a part-time author and a full-time ski fixer Mm-hmm. to an author who has wrote many, many books at percent from then on out. And I've read a lot of them and he's just an amazing author, especially in that genre. I really like him. Yeah. So how did you get started? How's that for a first question? How did you first get started into writing? Was it in high school? Was it a kid? Was it later on? You know, writing was always around me. My, my parents were both teachers. Um, my dad was a music professor and a, and a conductor Mm. um but you know he was an academic as well as a performing musician so he was uh, correcting grad papers and there was there was a lot of a lot of literature around my house my mom was a a history teacher she she's a playwright she she wrote and produced original plays with her school kids so there was almost a lot of you know kind of different Mm. aspects of writing going on around my house but i 
honestly never set out to become a writer. It wasn't my, it wasn't like I said, I'm going to do this as a writer. I never went to school to be a writer. I, my career has kind of zigzagged like a slalom course, um, a whole variety of ways, often bewildering to my parents, sometimes bewildering to me. Uh, I started out as a classical musician, played the cello composer. Um, while I was still in school, in high school, some friends and I started our own high school because uh, we had a burning interest in education. And the schools where we were enrolled at the time were, were pretty dull places. And uh, we started that school, and, and it, was, it was quite successful. So I was kind of in education. Uh, from there, I got involved in nutrition and health. And everywhere I went, every sort of area I got involved in, I was always the guy who was ed- ended up editing the newsletter or editing the poster or editing the article for the magazine or whatever it was. So I was doing a, I, I kind of I was doing a lot of editing. And eventually, for I got involved in business as sales, and in that sphere, I helped help found a couple of magazines, and was the editor. Did a lot of editing with the magazines. For, so for years, I edited other people's stuff, and you know, some sometimes I even recommend that people say, "How do you get started? How do, oh, it's good training to be a writer." Obviously, you can go to school. There are all kinds of fantastic online courses. Um, I have some I recommend. There are lots of ways to become a, a skilled to refine or, or hone the skill of writing. Editing other people's stuff is a great way to do it because it's other people's stuff. You know, you mm-hmm. don't have any emotional attachment to it because you didn't write it. So yeah, you kind of you kind of get to practice the craft of making something better um, without the angst you suffer at you know deleting your own stuff and yeah. changing your own stuff. I don't so want I did to kill that for my years. Baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I did that for for uh, professionally mm. for for over a decade, um, and then kind of moved into, uh, I was actually planning to be a screenwriter. That was my, hmm. my, you know, my big plan for myself. Um, and you know how we sometimes have big plans for ourselves, but they, it doesn't work out that way. So for me, I was going to yeah. be an A-list screenwriter in Hollywood when my friend Bob Berg came along. And I like to say Bob Berg ruined my career because Bob <laughs> came along and said, I got this idea for a book. But I don't know how to write this kind of book. It's a story, and I'm I'm not a story I'm I'm not a story guy. I'm not a narrative guy. I'm not a dialogue guy. I'm a how-to guy. Mm-hmm. So I want you to write the book with me, not edit my stuff. I want you to write it with me. So uh, we we shook hands on the deal. Uh, we we made a fifty-fifty deal. We're going to write this book together. And he said, "I'll tell you what. You do the writing. I'll do the marketing." That's an oversimplification because. <laughs> He had a lot of story ideas as well, and I've done some marketing as well. But basically, my job was to write words. And Mm -hmm. that was my first major book. And it ruined my career as a screenwriter, thank heavens. Mm -hmm. And it launched my career as an author. Um, And since then, I've published about 30 books. And uh, the Go-Giver series, as you know, you've read the Go-Giver. There's Mm -hmm. also the Go-Giver leader. There's the Go-Giver influencer. Um, and then there's the the uh, the book Go Giver Sell More, which isn't a parable; it's sort of a companion volume to the Go Giver. Mm. And now this is not out yet, but next spring we're going to have the Go Giver Marriage. My wife and I just finished writing that. Um, yeah. In fact, we're just working on the last few pages now. So there's I'm a whole series of Go Giver books. I'm yeah, really looking was, for the other one. Yes. 
It's another parable. It's all of these. I know you haven't uh, yourself read the Go-Giver Leader, Go-Giver Influencer yet, but but those two are also stories that take place mm. in the same town where the Go-Giver, the Pindar's town there, where the Go-Giver oh, okay. yeah, yeah. place. So they all they all kind of form a, uh, a, a I think saga is probably too grandiose a word for little it's parables. The go- but, it's the it's the go giver universe, kind of like the MCU. Yeah, the, ex- exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the go giver universe. It's you know like the Lord of the Rings universe or the yeah. Star Wars universe. It's mm-hmm. the go giver universe. And, um, and, and the go giver marriage. Oh yeah, sorry. The go giver the go giver marriage also takes place in that same universe. Some of the same characters come back, and there's some new ones. And so we're we're looking forward to that. You're gonna say, uh, just as an aside, you were talking about your dad grading yeah. grad papers and stuff and yeah. we're talking about books and authors and i'm just thankful for one guy who was grading papers for extra cash a college professor you'll probably figure out who this is and he was long day of grading papers just to make the extra cash he needed to support his family and he came across a blank page and so do you know what he wrote on that great blank page i do not know in the hole in a hole in the ground lived a hobbit <laughs> and, and then he just dropped it from there and he kept grading papers and that's J.R. Tolkien you go. start a Lord of the Rings funny, <laughs> funny how we got started yeah just random yeah. blank paper in the grad thing he's like yeah I'll just write a note just yeah but it was it was it was so obviously it was already like stirring back in his brain somewhere yeah. waiting waiting for a crack in the in the in the wall to pop out you never know what's going to ruin your career I just want to tell I want to say to people that by the way I think that we not everyone is destined to be a writer, obviously. It's not everyone has their own gifts. Everyone has their own path. Um, everyone has their own. I have a friend who says everyone has many talents, but one gift. Hmm. I, I'm not sure if that's true or not, but it may be. In any case, we all have different talents and different skills and different leanings. But I do think a lot of people have a hobbit in a hole in the ground somewhere in the back. They have ideas. They have hmm. memories experiences, reflections, realizations, disappointments, you know, painful, whatever. People have this bank of experience that is unique to them that has never found a way to come out and find expression because they simply haven't taken the time or or haven't believed that it was there. Um, So I, I do think, you know, a lot of us have have a hobbit in the hole in the ground in the back of our minds waiting for a blank page. That's a great story. I'll use that story in the future. Yeah, it, it is a great story. And I'm a bit of a Tolkien fan beyond, and Lewis. I would Lewis never have guessed. Beyond yeah, Lewis. Just, just the books, beyond the books. So I've read biographies yeah. and yeah, yeah. listened to a full college yeah. course on them. Yeah, good for you. Good for you. And uh, They're magnificent. Talk, talk about writers. Uh, C.S. Lewis. Do you know how yeah. incredibly talented and smart he was? Yeah, actually, I, I, I do. In fact, I've studied the man just as you yeah. have. Yeah. Have you heard of the, the, the hero planets, of mine? The planets? Yeah. And how yeah. he makes the planets into the Chronicles of Narnia? Each one represents a separate planet. Did you hear about that? Yeah, actually, yes. He's, it's, it's amazing. There's so and, much um, learning and depth in those books. Yeah. And he did one a year. That's incredible. Yeah, so, I know. So if you want to that's be an author, that's one thing. Uh, if you surround yourself with something you love, you can you can start doing that. Because if you surround around yourself with a yeah. lot of authors, you can be a better author. You surround yourself around a lot of leaders, 
that's going to come up. And I was liking what you were yeah. saying about that whole thing. Have you seen the kids' movie Ratatouille? It's no, a, I haven't. It's a Pixar, Disney. It's one of my personal favorite yeah. ones. Uh, yeah. Not only do I have kids, but I'm a big kid. When my wife and I were first married, the first couple of years, our neighbors with kids would come and borrow our kids' collection because they didn't have any for their kids and we didn't have kids. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but the whole thing of that one, it's the rat that cooks. And the beginning of it, the the one the main chefs, small spoiler, he dies but he inspires the rat to cook. He says, anyone can cook. And of course, the food credit says, not anyone can cook. And he was really harsh on it. But you watch the whole more the story. The moral of the story is, everyone can cook, but you don't know exactly where greatness will come as a cook. So anyone, mm-hmm. you can get greatness from a rat cook, and of course the film, because I don't think a rat today would be a great cook. But... Point being was you never know where that little germ, where that little hole in the ground of the Hobbit. Mm-hmm. Everyone can write a book. Uh, that balloon guy said, he says, write a book. It's great for marketing. It doesn't take much to write a small book. Then again, my mom just wrote a book. And her first try, it's being published. So, but she's also introduced me to Lord of the Rings. And she wrote a lot of C.S. Lewis and Frankie Pretty and stuff. So I wonder how that works. I actually got to be a, a beta reader. Do you ever use a beta reader group? Um, yeah, I do sometimes, yes. Yeah, so I got to be a beta reader on a little fantasy novel. And he picked me because I read Tolkien and Lewis and fantasy and sci-fi and all these books. He's like, yep, you're the type of guy I need. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, no, that's really cool how you got started. And... Why you got started? Was it like Frankie Peretti? I'm sure you didn't just sit to stop and completely and I'm going to write a book now and no income for now until we write this book and get it published. How'd you go from working with Bob and getting a book published to being an author who now has your full-time income as an author from your books, right? So yes. how'd you go from, because that's kind of the bootstrap thing. A lot of people start writing books in their spare time. Yeah. Uh, gradually and stumblingly. And, you know, I say this in the book, in the book, how to write good, that writers by and large are entrepreneurs, not everybody. I mean, if you're a staff Mm. writer for a magazine, then you're on a salary and that's great. That's a salaried Mm. position. That's that's having a job. But for most writers, certainly for authors, you know, publishing books, uh, for most people who are doing writing, certainly part time, maintaining a blog or or being a writer on, on other social media outlets or Writing is an entrepreneurial gig. Writing is one of those deals where you're making up the career as you go along. You don't have a steady salary. You don't have any financial guarantees. You don't have an infrastructure that supports you or that directs you. Um, Man, you are doing it on your own. And so for me, you know, people hear New York Times bestselling author. The dude must be loaded, right? He must be rolling in it. It isn't that <laughs> way, because you publish in, in the in in my book, How to Write Good. I actually take one chapter and kind of lay out the economics of how it works. Mm. It's very difficult to make a living as a writer. Um, it's it's not it's certainly not impossible. It's doable, um, and, and not just by you know Stephen King and and you know mm. best-selling James Patterson, and not not just by household word writers, but 
yeah, you can make a living as a writer, but it's difficult. The reason it's difficult is that, first off, you're an entrepreneur. Um, the fact that you write a book doesn't guarantee it'll get published. The fact that you publish a book doesn't guarantee there will be much sales. <laughs> mm-hmm. And even when there are sales, it doesn't guarantee sales will, will rise to any major level. You know, mm-hmm. you can sell 5,000 books, 10,000 books, 20,000 books. Congratulations, you've sold 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 books, but you still have bills to pay and groceries to mm-hmm. buy, and that isn't going to do it. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of people sort of have the assumption or the belief that if you get a publisher, a mainstream publisher, that they will handle marketing the book. And it, it, it actually isn't that way. Um, publishers don't go sell books for you, um, particularly in nonfiction. But it's also, you know, it's, all, it's true across the board, but particularly mm-hmm. in nonfiction. Memoir, how-to books, you know, books on, on specific topics that are, that are not, you know, novels. Publishers get your book out. They will do some positioning. Maybe they'll place it in bookstores. Maybe they'll take out a few ads. They'll, they'll, they'll kind of set it up in the world. They'll create the channels, but they don't drive the sales. It's not no. what a publisher is set up to do. If, if you're a, an established best-selling author, then yes, the publisher will bring in whatever big guns they can to just move mountains and make it happen. Yeah. But that's because you already created the buzz. You have to create the buzz. You have to create the readership. You have to create the market. So you asked, how did it go for me? I said, stumblingly. It went very gradually. And honestly, so I've been writing books now. I've been publishing books for only about 12, 13 years. Mm-hmm. 2008 was The Go-Giver. I published a book in 2007. So Go-Giver was my second book. Mm-hmm. For most of those years, um, writing hasn't supported me. Not entirely. You know, it, it's been getting, it's, it's steadily coming along, but I have written books, for example, where the, you know, typically a publisher will give you an advance. You write mm-hmm. a book, if the publisher, publisher gives you an advance, which may be anywhere from, you know, five or $10,000 to six figure. It depends, but typically it's not that big. And when they give you an advance, it's typically broken into four pieces paid out mm-hmm. over time. Some of that, advance you may actually receive after the book is published (laughs) i don't know how that's called an advance but it is Mm -hmm. so even if you let's say you get a hundred thousand dollar advance it doesn't mean they give you a check for a hundred thousand dollars in my case all my books are partnerships so i get 50 percent of the money Mm -hmm. so take a hundred thousand peel off 50 15 percent for your agent which you want Mm -hmm. split the rest in half then divide that into four pieces because they dole it out in four, four installments. And all of a sudden, you're not getting $100,000. You're getting $10,000. And mm-hmm. if you want to try to live the whole year on $10,000, then you're not yeah. living in the world that I live in. And that's also after so, Uncle Sam takes a bite. That is true. That is absolutely true. So um, the bottom line is it's been a slow and uh, you know, financially difficult climb for me. Um, it's it's good. It's a good life. It supports me now, and I'm really really happy with it. But it is um it it is far from automatic. It takes it takes like any entrepreneurial adventure. <laughs> it takes a lot of consistent discipline, and you absolutely have to have a passion and love for what you're doing, or you'll get discouraged yeah. way too soon. And there's a dirty word in there. Yeah. Discipline. Very dirty word. You know, it's a funny thing about discipline. I grew up playing the cello. 
That was mm. my first, you know, my first real career. And before it was a career, obviously I spent many, many years learning how to play the cello as a kid. I would play for hours a day. I was never that disciplined. Like you, you'll see a movie about a, a prodigy pianist or violinist or whatever. Mm. And typically in those movies, you'll see, you know, the slave driving parent and the kid laboring for yeah. hours practicing scales till his MBS. fingers bleed, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 you got it. Um, if you have to drive yourself, um, that's that's a tough life. I've never had to drive myself because I love what I'm doing. I love the cello. I love the music. Yeah. So my discipline means, I, I'll tell you what my discipline means for me. When I was a teenager, I used to go to parties with my friends. And in uh, the, the kinds of parties I went to in those in those junior high years, invariably, we'd party on till midnight and one and two and three o'clock. And into the wee hours of the morning, everybody would start getting horizontal. Mm. And so you'd have people on couches and people on mattresses and people just all kind of zoned out, sleeping, whatever. And room would be a mess. I, for, for whatever reason, I don't know, Isaiah. I was always the kid who at three or four in the morning was walking around with a trash bag, p- picking up paper cups and throwing paper mm-hmm. plates and getting trash and kind of cleaning up the place just because that seemed like the thing to do. Uh, you know, somebody the other day asked me about the inspiration part of writing. Inspiration is really, really important. But the part that most people don't see or don't, don't imagine is sort of the engineering side, the mm-hmm. side that is that what's, what comes after the inspiration, the cleaning it up. The now that I've written this idea for a book is taking it and revising it and revising it and revising it. A lot of my book, How to Write Good, is about how to take a piece of writing you've done and make it better and better and better and better. 90% of, of what I do is kind of, um, you might almost use the word menial. It's yeah. pushing letters around. You know, it's not sparks of inspiration. They're in there. And I fall in love with each book and each character, but that is the dirty word, man. You're absolutely right. The, the discipline mm-hmm. of it, you have to love what you're doing. I think you have to mm-hmm. love what you're doing enough that the discipline doesn't become painful. That the discipline becomes a necessary and, and appreciated part of the, of the joy of creation. Yeah. And that business, same thing, entrepreneurs, exactly. right? And it fits right. Every with, entrepreneur um, has bookkeeping. Oh, of course. It's like, um, I think you would like that book, The 48 Days. Uh, and I'll send you the link to the interview I did with Dan Miller. Sure. I keep, because there's sure. also Donald Mer- Miller who writes the story brand and Dan Miller, Dan and Donald. And I always flip them in my head sometimes. <laughs> but um, by the way, yeah. I've read a lot of, uh, by the way, I've read, uh, I've read a lot of Frank Peretti. Yeah. Piercing the Darkness. This, uh, yeah. yeah this, this thing. Yeah. Awesome. My most recent favorite is and Illusion. And you know, Haven't he does some it. research. He does some in-depth yeah. research especially when he writes about something yeah. i happen to know something about then you mm-hmm. know he writes it illusion he's talking about a magician and the whole world of yeah. magic and magicians uh, yeah and i know enough about magic i'm a clown i'm part of a christian magician thing so i know a bit about magic and the terminology and stuff and he's nailing the yeah. terminology he knows exactly the right words in the right spot in the right way that's a lot of work. That's, that's really, that's, that's really, it's it? important. I, when you're writing, writing about, down, I've written a typing? lot. <laughs> I've, I've written, I've written, I've written, I've written a lot of books about military topics. Oh yeah. And 
when you're writing about military, man, you got to get it right. You got to get the calibers right. You got to get the rank right. You got to get the form of address to your superiors and and Mm -hmm. inferior. You got to get all that right because if you don't, your military readership will see one thing out of place and they'll go, this is bull. Mm -hmm. I'm not, and and that's it, man. So, yeah, you, I mean, the same thing is true if you're writing about forensic. Yeah. Or if you're, right. And, and and can you blame them in a way, you know, because the whole thing of a story is, you need to have this willing suspension of, of belief. Yeah, exactly. It needs to feel real for every second. If you let the illusion, speaking of illusion, if you let it drop for even a moment, mm-hmm. then the story kind of falls apart. It's like having a character in a movie suddenly looking at the camera. You know, so can you blame them, the correctors? And whether you're writing mm-hmm. about, you know, even in a parable, mm-hmm. Um, like I wrote a book called The Recipe a couple of years ago mm. with a friend who, who was the Bob Berg of that book. His name is, uh, his name is Charles Carroll. He's a chef. He's a world class Olympian mm. chef. And the book is about a, a young kid who's lost his dad, who is angry at the world, is going down a troubled path. And he crosses um, paths with a crusty old diner chef. It's kind of like Master Chef meets Karate Kid, you know. Oh, he yeah. starts learning lessons from this from this old chef, and they come to a crisis point and so forth. But it, a lot of it took place in, in a diner kitchen. I had to get the food right. Oh yes, I had to get I had to get the the the, the pots and pans and knives. I had to get it all right. Mm-hmm. Um, like I had to learn enough about what it is to be a diner cook, so that people who spend their lives in that world could read that book and never feel like, oh, this is wrong. It's really important. It's like respecting yeah. your reader is really, really important. And I can tell the difference. I saw one where anyone can publish. It's just an app that you can read. And I read through the story. Yeah. It was intriguing enough to begin with. Yeah. But then it just went on and on. And then he, it was about rich people and snooty family inherited wealth, rich people. Okay. I get that common target. But then uh, he started talking about how they all have these huge lines of credit and that he was only using all his credit card. I'm like, no, no, no. Most rich people have cash. They don't need a credit line. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, anybody anybody can write. Also, anybody can do surgery. But is that who you want for your doctor? Exactly. And by the way, you know where I got the correctors from? Micro. Do you know who that is, Micro? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, if you listen to his podcast and they talk, he's added a new segment where they talk about the podcast we just listened to, what inspired it, what came up, all these different things. It's really interesting. And they're mm-hmm. always talking about the correctors because if you've ever heard his podcast, it's called The Way I Heard It. And it's an homage mm-hmm. to um, the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. Right. And so he purposely says the way I heard it, just in case he gets something wrong. He goes, well, that's actually just the way I heard it. So maybe I heard it wrong type of thing. Yeah. But he talks about the correctors. You get one thing wrong in that and they'll be like, no, it was this and this and this. And he goes, okay, well, you know. (laughs) Yeah. So now what did you do up until you were able to live off of writing? What was your ski shop? um, I, I'd been involved in business and sales and, uh, my wife and I both had consulted the company. So I, mm. we do some consulting and, uh, um, for a while, you know, I mentioned that people who are say staff writers for a magazine have a salary. That was me for a while. Uh, for many years while I was editing, I took a salary, a small salary from one of those magazines that I helped found as mm. senior editor. 
So um, I supp- yeah, I supplemented my income for many years, either through or both through uh, sales consulting, salesman, you know, sales related jobs, um, not salary jobs, but contract work, piecemeal work, mm-hmm. and and a salary, uh, part time salary as an, as an editor. And I think um, you know, famously, a lot of writers, uh, novelists, you know, are famous for for their day job being that they're an English teacher. Stephen King was an English teacher for years. Yeah. Uh, there's a wonderful author, author, and I'm a big fan of in the U.S., Chris Knopf, who's written a, a great crime series that I, that I really appreciate. And his professional career is uh, he's he's got a, a marketing company. Um, Jim Patterson, James Patterson, mm. one of the best-selling authors on the planet. Now, he spent, career, he spent a whole career um, in a marketing firm, advertising marketing firm. So a lot of writers, you know, interesting, here's an interesting uh, example of somebody who would answer your question in the most fascinating way. Uh, Adrian McKinty, who wrote a book, his breakout book, which I think came out two years ago, and it was one of the the it books of the year. Everybody was talking about it, a book called The Chain. The story Mm. of The Chain was simple. It was like a chain letter. You get a phone Mm. call. Your daughter, your daughter's been kidnapped, and you'll see her again when you go kidnap somebody else's daughter. And and the chain goes on. Uh-huh. You break the chain, you never see your kid again. Terrifying, horrifying. Um, you know, Don Winslow called it Jaws for parents. So it was yeah, a, yeah. it was a huge phenomenon. But here's the thing: McKinty had been writing great books for years. Mm. He'd won awards for his books. He just wasn't selling a lot of copies. Couldn't live mm. off it. So the story goes, and. Uh, he he was um, he was from Ireland and he was living in the States. He moved down to Australia for a while. At, at this point in his life, um, he was driving an Uber mm. to make ends meet for his family, and finally wrote one night on his on his blog, um, "I'm throwing in the towel. You know this thing this thing this writer thing is not working for me." And uh, Don Winslow, a, a very famous established novelist, read this and said, this guy's too talented. We can't let him go and persuaded his agent to call up McKinty and, and mm. say, you know, you, you got to write us a book that we can publish in the States. Anyway, he was on the verge of quitting because he couldn't get his writing to support him. And he's a phenomenal author. So, you know, it just highlights the fact that writers are entrepreneurs. And uh, mm. most successful novelists, um, certainly short story writers, which is a whole, which is an even tougher hill to climb, make their income somewhere else until that point where they they break through, you know, deep yeah. enough to to support themselves. I mean, I even started this podcast, starting writing a blog, and when the podcast started taking off, the blog kind of went to the wayside because it is hard. Yeah. And sure. when I write the blog, sure. I I look at it kind of like who has a Michelangelo had said the, the statues in there. I just have to cut away the rock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Writing is a lot like that. Yeah, yeah. You just yes, spit out your first draft and you throw everything on that page. And like, that's yeah. really too long. And that doesn't sound good. Let's go and yeah. get this word out. Oh, this is great here. Not great there. Let's switch those. And yeah. And it, I just with two kids running around the house and having to sell balloons and everything else. It just was getting. Yeah too slow to do a blog because yeah the one thing i think you can probably help me with this this is an idea i just had the shorter amount you write the more you have to write to keep it Mm. up so like a blog you have to keep it up on a fairly consistent basis 
And even now, you can't just stop and just collect royalties the rest of your life. Eventually, you're going to have to write something new to get people going again. Yeah. I'm thinking. I think you have applies. to keep up on it to some degree. You can't just stop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it applies pretty much to any form of writing, mm. uh, unless you're Harper, Harper Lee and you wrote To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and you never know. It's like, uh, of course, I'm guessing, have you read um, Jim Collins' Good to Great? Yeah. Jim. Jim Collins. Yeah. Yeah. The whole idea of the oh, sudden overnight success taking 15 years before that. <laughs> mm. It's so. Yeah. Typical of all entrepreneurs, writing same thing. Yes, you write again and again and again. And uh, matter of fact, uh, the guy I did the beta reading for, he said he wrote several novels, and then he went through them and said these are crap. <laughs> he himself, so he put that mm-hmm. aside, tried again, put that aside, and tried again until it came up to his standards that matched his type of novel that he liked. Mm-hmm. published that one and it's done fairly well of course he has a big youtube channel and he's got a large fan base there which went immediately over and bought the book and spread the word really quick and it promotes it on his channel which is good but it wasn't a sudden overnight success he wrote two or three crap novels that he said that they're, they're just awful these are horrible <laughs> and i was writing more and everything else but it's never a sudden overnight success it's like a lot of millionaire. If you're an overnight success, you're usually an overnight failure too, right behind it. Mm-hmm. So now what would you say? I have a friend, I won't say his name, but if he listens to this, he'll know what I'm talking about. He's, he's working as a, as a uh, corrections officer, a correctional facility, but he also likes to write. And he's always written. He's always been wanting to write and stuff. And he kind of, I don't know if he's given up on it, but he does write. So what would you say to a guy who's just working the everyday job and just writing in his spare time? I personally don't think he should give up. But what would you say to encourage that guy? Well, it depends on what he wants to do. I mean, I don't know the guy, what, yeah, his, yeah. what his goals are for writing. But if he, so, you know, if he, if he aspires to be a published novelist or if he aspires to be a columnist or you know i don't know what he wants but one thing is for sure um if you want to get if you want to go anywhere with your writing first off you you've got to do it every day you got to write every day mm. um it, it doesn't have to be hours obviously but it has to be some time every day you've got to be writing you know at least a half hour a day hopefully more than a half hour hopefully an hour or two hours a day um and and the other thing is you have to have a commitment to not just writing, but writing and then improving your writing, you know, making the writing better. Hmm. You know, my, my definition of a writer is not necessarily someone who's published or who earns uh, an income in their writing. It's somebody who writes every day and has a commitment to making their writing better and works at that in earnest every day. So, um, you know, one thing that's ancillary to that is to share the writing. I mean, you could write in your room and nobody reads it for years and get better, but it's much easier or anyway, it's more accelerated. It's, it's mm-hmm. assisted by sharing your writing. You know, that's when, one thing a blog is great for when social media can be helpful for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think short form writing mm-hmm. 
columns in newspapers, editorials in newspapers, newsletters, your own newsletter. Uh, mm. um, you know, a blog is almost like a newsletter. Short form publishing. And by publishing, I simply mean putting a finished piece of writing, and the word finished is important, a finished piece of writing out there so that other people read it. Yeah, exactly. That's publishing. Even if you write a newsletter and share it with five people. You know, Stephen King talks about the first first uh, uh, newsletter he, he wrote in school, which was shared, well, I guess it was shared with his classmates in the whole, whole school. So maybe it was, maybe it was a few hundred people, but even if it was only a dozen people, it's a form of publishing. I spent a lot of years writing a, well, as I said, I was editing magazines, but I was also writing columns for those. They were, some of them were monthly, some were bi-monthly. The schedule varied, but they were all regular. Hmm. And my columns were maybe a page or half a page. So it was a very compact form of writing consistently. Hmm. Um, for many years, I wrote a blog every week, concise, compact, consistent, regular. Right now, my blog, I'm writing every two weeks. I can't do more than every two weeks, but every two weeks is, you know, you use the word discipline again, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's, it's a discipline. But the beauty of it is when you know somebody's going to read it, it's going to get published, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, someone's coming over. So you clean your house up a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, you make sure that your, your, your floor is swept. Uh, or if you know you're going to be on a podcast, you you ideally want to have a shirt where the buttons buttons are, are working. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm not coming out in a you know yeah, in yeah. my pajamas for a podcast. Although these days, coming out in your pajamas for a podcast is okay. But um, yeah. I even brought you know, my when you publish, a podcast, just to make sure exactly, I don't have anything. Good in my man, teeth. good man. <laughs> exactly, you got to do it. So my point is, your guy, your your correctional's officer friend. If find some short form of publishing where people will read your stuff regularly, when you know you're going to publish, you have an incentive to finish the piece as finished as you can make it. And that's important because that's the only way you really get better. Um, Mm -hmm. If you take the same little novel you're doing or the same short story you're working on, the same screenplay you're working on, and you poke at it for years and you're just improving it and improving it and improving it, you're just slapping yourself in the face. It's, It's not going in. You're going in circles. Mm-hmm. So you gotta have, you really gotta have, uh, you gotta find an audience, write for that audience, publish finished pieces, and then you know just know what's your trajectory, what is your aim. Um, mm-hmm. I've always, you know, my aim as a writer has since I started was always to, you know, to publish books that would reach millions of people. I never knew I was going to be a novelist. I've just my first novel's about to come out, and that mm-hmm. was as much of a surprise to me as it was to anybody. Um, but yeah, I've always been going in this direction. So yeah, you, you got to write every day and, and write with a with a purpose mm-hmm. in mind and share it. Share it with the world, at least a small sure. piece of the world. And because you and you never know what can happen. Because uh, I'm drawing a complete blank which way it was. I can't remember if it was Lewis who encouraged Tolkien and Tolkien that encouraged Lewis. I think it was Lewis that encouraged Tolkien to publish. Was yeah. It? Was yeah. it Lewis that encouraged Tolkien? I don't. I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm I don't know myself. Tired. I can't remember off the top of my doesn't head. Doesn't matter. One of them doesn't doesn't matter. The whole, the whole little, the the um, uh, help. What's the name of their little group? You know what I'm talking about. Him and Lewis and a couple other guys that were writers. They all sat mm-hmm. down at the uh, yeah at the uh, bird and the baby, the pub. They would go sit down and share their stories. Mm-hmm. Thinklings. 
mm-hmm. you know, the Inklings, they sat down, they shared their stories and they talked about what they mm-hmm. were writing and they shared their finished little pieces and poems and such. And that's where we got a lot of yeah. these great novels and ideas that came from the whole space yeah. trilogy. C.S. Lewis's space trilogy came from that because uh, Tolkien challenged him to write a space trilogy and then he was going to write one and then he never did. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. But they the whole idea of the authors getting together and at least showing each other so they were getting better at writing because they were sharing what they were writing. This what do you think of this? Oh, yes. that's junk. Sometimes it backfired. Sometimes they were just like, oh, you just don't get it, which that might happen. People just won't get yeah. what you're writing. That's it's life. Yes. I can't remember who it was. One of the guys when Lewis start when uh, Tolkien started talking about it, he goes, What, hobbits and nels again? It's like, well, just be quiet now. So sometimes, but that's another thing. How do you deal with criticism? Because you know it's going to come. Not just correctors, but critics. Depends. Uh, depends if I place value in the critique or not. Um, uh, and again, not to not to um, sound the same tune again, but in in the book, how to write good. Uh, I devoted a section to to critique because critique is, you know, my my writing. Um, skill or ability hasn't improved in a straight line through my career. It's mostly been like, oop, mm, oop. it's mm. It's kind of gone along. And then I've had little blips where I, I significantly got better. And those blips have always been times when I had a great editor and or um, great critique from somebody else. You mentioned beta readers. I have a few mm-hmm. beta readers I go to. I, um, uh, for the novel, I actually hired a consultant, a story consultant, to read my draft and give me critique. She was a professional you know, at, at mm. doing that. Um, critique is essential, but, it, it, but it's got to be from people whose critique you have reason to value. Um, mm. Just because you have a friend who's willing to read your, your writing doesn't mean their critique is going to be valuable. Most cases, it won't be. Mm-hmm. And in many cases, it can even be destructive. And I don't, not necessarily because they they tear you down and say it's awful. It can be destructive because it's not useful. Um, you can have friends who, who think everything you do is amazing. You know, mm-hmm. like you, your mom can think everything you do is amazing. That can be destructive, actually, because it's not useful. It doesn't make you better. I have a circle of, of, of readers. Many of them, they'll read a draft of a book. And, and, you know, mostly what they have to do is, that, is to, they tell me which things they loved. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I love that. I appreciate yeah. that. You know, when you write something, it's, it's, it's like a newborn baby. It's very fragile. Your, your ego is in it. And mm-hmm. so it's nice to hear, I love this part. Somebody will say, I love this part. And I go, oh, yeah, I, I did too. I'm so glad somebody else loves it. But it's not useful to me as a writer. It's nice for me as, a, as an ego as a person what's useful to me is when someone says this the whole thing held together really well except in this part i felt like it kind of i, I lost the thread i mm. wasn't sure where it was going at that point or this part didn't feel believable or at this point the dialogue lost me yeah or that was I want a little bit too to much exposition <laughs> yeah exactly like, i want people to too much i want people to tell me what for them what works and doesn't work. And I, I need them to be knowledgeable enough as readers for the, for the critique to have 
chances are better than 50% that it's valid. Uh, you have to know when you get critique from somebody that even from the best critiquer, I use the word critiquer rather than critic, because mm -hmm. critic is a load, loaded term. But anyway, even from the most knowledgeable professional critique, you have to know that there will be things you want to take with a grain of salt. You know, you don't you don't necessarily change everything someone says you should change or make every correction. I think it was Neil Gaiman who said this thing that I love, which is when people tell you, um, and I wouldn't say people, I would say, you know, qualified readers. When people tell you something doesn't work, they're nearly always right. When people tell you how to fix it, they're nearly always wrong. Mm. I, I, most times, I don't need my readers to tell me what to do to make this thing that didn't work to make it better. That's my job. I, I'll figure that out as a writer. Yeah. And, and most times, if they do tell me what to do, it's actually not an answer. I had an editor in my very first book, my first experience with a professional editor, who went through the book and she uh, would make suggestions about what needed to happen here. And then she would write, she would say, like for example, and she would write a paragraph. Mm. And Isaiah, her writing was so awful. I mean, it was so awful. <laughs> it would make me, I would go, I would show my wife and say, can you believe this? And it, and it, I, I was young, I was a little cocky. I mean, I wasn't that young, I was in my, in my 50s, 40s. Anyway, I, was, I wasn't that young, but I was young as a writer. I got a little cocky and I was thinking, because the writing was so awful, I just discounted it. But in, it, within a few weeks, I, I would go over it and go over it. And I realized her editing is brilliant. Her mm. critique is spot on. All the stuff that she said I should change, she's right. She's right. Her suggestions for how to do it were terrible. She's not a writer, but she's a great editor. So that's what I want. I want someone who is uh, who has a really fine eye and can say... I see what you're doing and I see where it works. And here's where I think it, here's where I think it got off the rails. And then they leave it to me to, to fix it. So it's, it's so valuable. I think it's probably the heart of the person too, because there's a big difference yeah. between someone who's trying to be constructive and help you, and yeah. help you build something rather yep. than someone that just wants to tear it all down and burden down because they have fun with it. Or, or prove how much they know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of like, Reminds me of uh, Rhinoceros' Success, another one of Dave's must-reads. Mm -hmm. And he talks about, you know, if a cow criticizes you, ignore him. But if a lion criticizes you, you got to pay attention because yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's got to be the right person, the right attitude. Another rhino warns you, then you really listen kind of thing. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to track him down and get him on too, Scott Alexander. That would probably be a fun one. So we'd be going for nearly 45 minutes or so, an hour almost now. Um, it's been really fun. <laughs> and I could keep going all night, but I'm sure my wife's going to be soon calling me. <laughs> Are you done yet? Are you coming home? I need help with the kids. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing you probably have kids, right? Grown. Grown. grown I meant grown, grown kids. Yep. Yeah. But yep. you remember yep. those yep. days. Yep. Of, I do. Uh, bedtime and yeah, the oh, most yeah. wonderful, perfect kids in the world until bedtime, and it's like Jekyll and Hyde, and yeah, good luck. <laughs> so that's right. Anyway, I'll I'll let you go. Thank you so much. And before we sign off here, Pleasure. any last words for entrepreneurs, inspiring writers in all fields of writing, be it bloggers, other types of content creators? Any last little sure. 
things of wisdom that you've learned through making bad bad decisions to get the experience to make good decisions? Sure. Um, you know, I think what, what I would say w- would apply equally to writers and to entrepreneurs um, because they're both, you know, in both cases, you're creating something. Uh, you're, you're creating something that, that didn't exist before, whether it's a story out of words or it's a business out of product, services, commerce, you know, what have you, inter- human interactions. And, you know, there, there's kind of two aspects to that. I talk a lot about rewriting. I talk about a lot, a lot about revising. Um, in the case of, of a, a business enterprise, that's, you know, correction, uh, changing your strategy, changing whatever it is that isn't working. Because you're constantly revising and rewriting your business, oh, yeah. just the same way you're constantly revising and, and rewriting your, your story. Um, I, I think it's, it's not only helpful, but necessary to have a highly developed faculty of self-critique. Um, mm. To be on the lookout of what needs to change, what, how you can get it better, how you can make it better, how you can make it better. But what a lot of writers anyhow, aspiring writers do is they strangle themselves before they even get out the door by criticizing the writing while they're writing it. You know, writing a paragraph and looking at it and saying, oh, that's terrible. Writing a, you know, your, your friend who wrote three novels and said they were great. I admire that. But a lot of people try to write and cut themselves off at, at their knees because they, they, they start criticizing. The critical inner voice starts jabbering at them while they're still just getting out of the gate. So what I would say is it takes a tremendous amount of faith in yourself, hmm. faith in your idea. You know, faith that you had a good idea, that you have a good idea, that there's that there's good stuff in there that merits getting onto the page, or that your business there's a good idea that merits you know forming a business. Mm. It may take a lot of mistakes and revision and failure, uh, and you know to 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 find it. But you know, Stephen King was uh, I I. I People have probably read the story. It's in his book on writing. But as a young and barely published writer of short fiction in men's magazines, I really hadn't he hadn't had any breakout success yet. He wrote a story about a teenage girl and he'd written a few pages of it, maybe, I don't know, 10, 12 pages. And he thought it was crap and he threw it in the trash, literally. And his wife, Tabitha, who was going through cleaning, straightening out, brushed the ashes off it and took it out. Up, uncrumpled the pages and and took it to him and said, "This is good. You should finish it." Um, and he said, I, "I don't know anything about teenage girls. It's just like I don't think I can do this." And she said, "Well, I'll help you with the teenage girls part. You should keep writing it." <laughs> so he did, and that was Carrie. And oh. you know, he eventually sold the paperback rights for like eight hundred thousand dollars or something. And it was it was his breakout moment, hmm. but it started out in failure. And a mm-hmm. lot of writing, a lot of successful writing starts out in failure. In in How to Write Good, my book, I take a whole chapter showing you the first page of The Go-Giver in its original draft. And it's mm. not very good. And you can read it yourself and you can judge it. It's not very good. And then I show you the first page in the published version and all the steps that we took to get from here to there. Um, so... I think it's important to know that there are jewels in, in, in the, in the mud. There are good ideas mm-hmm. in the mess, that it is a mess. Your first attempts mm-hmm. will not, will not be masterpieces, but that there will be 
germs of, of, you know, seeds of greatness in there. And it just takes, you know, love, faith, and discipline to find them. So that's, those are my thoughts. It's been lovely speaking with you. Thank you so much for coming on. And that was my interview with John David Mann. A small side note about the difference in audio quality for those that noticed. I forgot my mic back at my office when I left and I didn't record my intro and outro. So we're going with my phone today. So I do apologize for the drop in quality. Anyway, I really did enjoy that interview with John David Mann or John. It was a lot of fun. We probably could have talked for a good deal more, and I hope that I can have him back on the podcast. It's been very interesting getting to know each other a little bit over this last couple of weeks as we got ready for this podcast. So he's really a nice guy. You got to check him out. He does have a website, johndavidman.com, and that's with two N's, M-A-N-N. And while you're there, you can get his free book that he was talking about, How to Write Better. How to Write Good, or at least Gooder, I think is the title. You can get that book for free by going over to johndavidman.com. And no, I'm not sponsored for that. I'm just helping him out because he's a great guy. So go check that out. And one thing I have to really like and note is being an author is also being an entrepreneur. I never thought about that, but it's true. There's so many things that an entrepreneur does and an author does. So it's really amazing. He really talked about that and hammered that home. And I thought that was really, really cool. I never expected that from an author. I thought I'd help out my author friends a little bit by talking about books and authorship since he's written 30 books and he's done all this writing. And indeed, that was part of it. But I really love the entrepreneurship twist. Anyway, everyone, it's been a long day. I will see you next week. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. And thank you for listening again. I'm very thankful. If you found value in this content, please leave a comment and give us a five-star rating on whichever podcast platform you use. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and most other podcast platforms. If you would like to support us, you can check out our sponsor links, or if you would like to directly support the show, you can donate or join our membership program at buymeacoffee.com forward slash bootstrap. Of course, it really helps when you share these podcasts as well. If you would like to interact with me and other bootstrappers and leaders, you can join our O'Connor Bootstrap Podcast Facebook group. You have been listening to the O'Connor Bootstrap Podcast and Athos Business Solutions Podcast. For our companion podcast, the Athos Business Podcast, hosted by Jason St. Clair, past episodes, and related blogs, check out our website at www.athos.com, which is www.athoz.com or atheoz.com. Until next time, I've been your friendly neighborhood entrepreneur, Isaiah O'Connor.